Welcome to Fruiting Body Podcast with your host, Brendan. Today, we have an absolute OG legend of a guest. It is Daniel Bocci. He is one of the originators of the entire video marketing and marketing team down at Tiger Muay Thai. This dates way back, way longer than any of you have been here. That kind of dates him and myself, more him than me. Uh, we are Fruiting Body. We are a medicinal mushroom company. I don't know why I sound like a radio host, but I do. And <laughs> we're doing stuff like Lion's Mane, uh, Cordyceps, uh, Reishi, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm going to be a bit slow today, so I'm going to let Daniel carry the podcast. We just finished uh, one with John Nutt. Uh, do not forget to like, subscribe, hit the bell, do all that fun stuff. And without further ado, let's get this podcast started with Daniel Bocci. First, thank you for joining. Thank you for having me, sir. I got. A, I think I've carried over John Nutt's energy, so <laughs> yes. I, I might have embodied that. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to take it down a notch. Even me and him were going, and I was like... We can't both have this energy right now. Oh, no. I was down there. I was like, man, this is going to go on. This could be a little while. Because yeah, <laughs> he, he'll go and go. Yeah, we tried. Yeah. Like, we said about an hour. And I, I think we did 115. We'll probably cut a bit out for YouTube and then keep yeah, it yeah. going there. Um, let's jump right into it. Yep. As we were discussing, you're one of the originators over at Tiger. But before we get into that, share mm -hmm. your story, uh, where you're from, what's your story, and what actually drove you to Phuket. Okay. Well, I am American. Um, America, America, good old America, uh, from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Um, and what got me into, got me to Thailand was, was Muay Thai. It was actually, I got into, Here, just push uh, that up a bit yeah, I'm sorry, and that's yeah, okay. Yeah, you I, got think, it? I think up a little, yep, 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 yep. I'll okay, let you know. Don't worry. 10, 4, 10, 4. Ten, okay. ten four. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, originally I was into MMA back in the States. I think I got. I got into MMA in 2004, something like that. <laughs> Before good. that, I started boxing when I was like 1920 on and off at a local gym. So I was always into like combat sports. And uh, I remember my friend, Will Elliott, who's now the manager at Bang I know. Tao. I know. We've been best friends since we were kids. Oh, so shout out Will. Me, actually, we were training today. I usually train with Saturday uh, yeah. uh, with Will as well. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I've known Will since since we were kids. We've been close friends. We work together, best friends. Um, we train together, obviously. And we traveled to Thailand together. Um, I remember this. Actually, a funny story is I was living in Florida for, for like, one year. And he had saved up, like, $10,000 or something. This was in two thousand and. 2005 maybe um and he called me up and he was like man i found this website this place called tiger muay thai he's like training kickboxing i never at this time even though i was in into mma muay thai was still a new thing i didn't even know where thailand was i'm like taiwan yeah let's go there you know yeah. <laughs> i didn't know much about it back then you know and uh he's like i found this kickboxing camp and da 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 should i should i take this 10 grand and go travel or should i uh, build this he had like some idea for some 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 type of like construction business I forget what, exactly what it was but I was like dude you know we're in our mid-20s I'm like man it's one in a lifetime opportunity go travel and tell me about it you know so he actually he made he took my advice he went there and traveled uh, to Tiger Muay Thai and came back and told me the stories and I was like whoa whoa dude I got to check that out so the very next year you know we worked together back home um, I moved back to the Cape and worked with him and uh, the very next year I saved up we saved up my I saved up my money and then we both went out there together and this was I think it was late 2006 early 2007 I don't know the exact dates long long time ago <laughs> um, and yeah it just completely blew my mind like Immediately, I've never traveled before this. You know, I've traveled the East Coast of the United States. I've never even been to the West Coast. I've never left the country, you know, so this was like, and back, back then we didn't have the social media like people do now that you can watch YouTube videos for hours and you pretty much can, you know, you're familiar with places before you even get there nowadays. Back then, we didn't have that. We had the internet, but it was like, you know, you have. Yeah, it's it a guessing basic, game still. Yeah, guessing game. No Google Maps, you know? Like, I, remember, yeah, I think we had Lonely Planet. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was printing, I had to print my maps out back then. Oh, yeah. Like, my first trip to Thailand, I, like, I had to, like, try to drive my motorbike and look at a paper map. It was ridiculous. Um, but anyways, so it completely blew my mind from the time. Um, this is right after the first coup of Taxon when I arrived. And there was, like, still military around. They had, like, machine guns and... 
it was a bit like intimidating and they dropped us off at the Khao San Road and, you know, just the whole experience of Thailand and meeting people from all over the world and um, training, training the martial arts over here was just mind blowing. Were so, you just coming to train for health and fitness and, you know, well, I, w- I had back then, you know, I was young and testosterone driven. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be a, I'm gonna be a champ. ultimate fighter, you know, <laughs> like, like everybody else, I think at a young age when they get into it, you know, uh, fitness was a second secondary me. I just like to punch things and, you know, get punched in the face. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, we, I mean, I fell, I just fell in love with, with, uh, Thailand and the experience just completely changed me. So we would go back home. We'd spend the winters here. Um, so we went back home and I let, I'm Cape Cod's a small place. It's like a really small town nothing going on for young people, nothing to do. I mean, only, only kind of work opportunities, opportunities is, is construction. And that's what we were doing. Just like, you know, and it was just, it was nothing exciting. Nothing exciting. It was, it just wasn't fulfilling. And I knew, you know, coming here and meeting people that like even lived out here and traveled the world and you just realized like, Oh, there's, there's possibilities. What was your intention? Were you, were you budgeting for two months, three months? Yeah, so we come out here for like I keep the, my first my first trip was like two and a half three months or something like that, um, and so we would go back home and all we would because we worked together every day, and uh, we all we talk about was Thailand, like how can we go back? Let's go back. We so we'd save our money again and then we'd you know come out. We came out the very next year, two thousand seven, two thousand. It was like December of two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Um, so and we did it again. You're working your summers. You're taking your winters off. Yeah, I mean, so the winters here. Because yeah. the construction, I'm assuming, goes a bit quiet in winters because there's exactly. not much you can do. Exactly. I mean, people do work through the winters, but obviously that's like the most depressing time you want to be alive, <laughs> you know, in that area. So we're like, let's go. Let's take off to Thailand. So it's a no-brainer, really. Um, so we did it again. Um, Will, he he was actually dating um, the owner of Tiger Muay Thai, William McNamara, his wife's sister, younger sister, he was dating her. So he had a relationship with the owner and therefore I had a relationship with the owner. So it was the the second year in is when I started to kind of do things for them. At the time I wasn't a a professional photographer, a videographer at the time I was just, uh, actually my first trip to Thailand, I didn't even bring a camera. I didn't own one. But the second year I was, because I regretted that so much because I went home and I didn't have any, I had a bunch of stories, but I didn't have any evidence, like any videos or any photos. So the second year I went back, uh, I brought a camera and I just filmed and photographed everything. Just filmed everything. It was stupid. People were like, what are you filming? I'm just, I had this little, you know, stupid dingy camera a power shot a power like, shot like it was a, something like, like that a, like a, what was it three megapixel back then i don't know it said mp4 on it and yeah. i was like <laughs> you know hd it wasn't even full hd um i just filmed everything and i started editing and stuff like that so i started doing stuff for tiger just as a you know guest right? for for their youtube their website well what, no i will i was f- well at first i was just doing it for me like and i was posting it on my own youtube and social okay. well, back then social we didn't have Facebook. there was, was no instagram there was but there no. was youtube back then there was youtube but it was still new, very new yeah. still very new so at the time um william mcnamara the, the the original owner he actually one thing i really give him credit for is he understood the value of content and uh keywords and spamming what he did and what we did with ended up doing with tiger and what made this the soy and and Muay Thai tourism really blow up was just flooding the internet with content. So anyways, we'll get into that, uh, yeah. back to kind of where, where that kind of started. That's all that technical SEO yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, where was I? Where so, was so I? you're, you're coming there. You're, you're kind of just creating your own content more organically. And at this point they're, they're probably catching on and, and getting intrigued by what you're offering. And then there's this organic relationship that's developing. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so obviously they were sharing my content that I was making and, you know, and there was really no thought at that time that I would do anything with it. But when, after that second trip, we went back, back home and it was the same thing, talking about Thailand every single day. And it was one day and it was like a cold day. It was almost winter time. And it was like, how can I move to Thailand? You know, I, was, I remember I, was, I remember this exact, I was painting some trim on a house. I was like 
dude, there's got to be a better way. This is what I, we said to me and Will said to each other every day. There's got to be a better way. Um, and I just had this weird idea. It just came out. It came out of nowhere, and it was like, how about if I? Because I know how much I enjoyed looking back at the, the videos I made of myself, like training and traveling. And I was like, what if I offered the Tiger Muay Thai guests training highlight reels of their training and fighting, you know, and their experience. And at the same time, I can do some content for the gym and get free training and maybe a, maybe a salary. Um, and it just came out of nowhere. I emailed that very same day. I emailed the owner and... He didn't, he didn't reply. It was a couple of weeks later. But what, 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 what happened, we call William, the, the William McNamara. His nickname was Big Mac. Okay, Big McNamara. Um, he actually emailed Will because he actually offered Will the position to be manager before that, but Will turned him down for whatever reason. But once <laughs> Will found out that I emailed Big Mac, that I'm looking, you know, he wanted to hire me. He's like, hey, your friend's... Your friend wants to come here and work for the gym. Do you, would you like to come with him and be the main? Anyways, Will was not going to let me just move there on my own and him stay leave here. Leave him behind. <laughs> no He's way. Like, no. So I remember it was. Like, I remember this like it was you know yesterday. We drove down to the beach. He's like, I got something to tell you. Da da da. He kept really quiet and he's like, We're moving to Thailand. <laughs> it was like, wow, life changing decision. You know. So that was. Just a few months later, I moved here in August of 2009. So you've been Full coming time. for about three, two, three years. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. So uh, two, three years, and then I made the I made the move. I'm sure a lot of people are in the similar situation now. Maybe they're 20 to 25 years old. They're in Cape Cod. They're painting right now. A, a young Daniel, um, maybe yep. similar, someone that actually came from your high school. And these mm -hmm. stories can be inspiring. Um, probably one part that can be uh, a bit overwhelming is you're going to make that first leap. You, you've secured a job in Thailand. How do you tie these loose ends and just leave? Uh, well, you just have to go. It's all or nothing. You know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, luckily at that time, um, I didn't own a lot. I actually, by the time I was 21, I filed bankruptcy and I gave up all my, cause I had, I had a lot of assets at the beginning of my young life. And then I Anyways, wanted to get rid of that. I wanted to start fresh. Went bankrupt, so I didn't have anything tying me down. Um, so I didn't have much but a car <laughs> and some clothes. You know, so I, I sold everything I had. My $2,000 car, by the way, some, some ship box. Um, and came out here with $3,000 and a dream. And I said I had to do, you know, I was 28 when I moved here. So it was like now or never. Because, uh, you know, after 30, it gets a little tougher. So if you're in your 20s and you're, you know, just thinking, but don't think, don't overthink, like, what if it doesn't work? You have to sink or swim. And maybe you'll make it, maybe you don't, but you're going to get some experience from it regardless. And you're coming over here with enough, you know, cash flow to probably keep you and back then three thousand could keep you alive for probably two months. <laughs> yeah, it was right. Like, so yeah, it's a bit yeah. of a different story. Yeah. I mean probably triple that now if you're yeah, planning for yeah, three months sure, or sure. at least double. Yeah, you um, should definitely go come here with more than that. But at least you, you had a job lined up and they committed to, to In, giving internship. You a, an internship. internship. So does that mean paid or, so, or just no like, no it was not a paid it was supposed to be well that's a that's a different yeah, story. Yeah. I won't get into that. It was supposed to be paid, wasn't paid for first couple of years actually before I got a salary. But that's where I, you know, I got into, um, I built a business inside of Tiger. I started off, like I said, I, I had the idea of making um, highlight reels and photo packages for the guests, for their memories. So I actually pushed that and that became successful. And I, I mean, successful as it could be, where that was actually my way of earning, that, that was feeding. Was that yours or did you have to give a commission? They, they, they let me, because I was working for free, I was, you know, there was no real commission. And plus they were getting the marketing from it. So it was like, I was pumping out these customer highlight reels that were really kind of cool, you know, for what they were. Um, and they would get the marketing on YouTube. But you're probably making okay money off that for being able to. And, and, uh, well, it took a while. I mean, f I mean, I was literally, uh, I was making about $300 a month for the first year. Yeah, <laughs> like, but I had free, I had free accommodation. They, and they gave me a motorbike 
And um, I got to eat, I think, once a day at the restaurant. So that 10000 was like my, my 7-Eleven money mm. <laughs> at the time. But it, it eventually, you know, after I think the second year, it, it, did started do, it started doing a little better. And I got up to where I was making, you know, about a couple thousand dollars a month mm. off of between, this, between the small salary I ended up getting and the highlight real business. Um, yeah, I was able to. As that was growing, were you planning to take it to another level or were you just kind of, my bit and I, let's just go with the flow? Uh, well, at the time, I was just trying to live, to be honest with you. I was just trying to stay out there. My biggest fear was fail, failure. And my biggest fear was going back home. At now that, you know, I was approaching 30 or 30, and I was like, there's just no way I can fail. I got down to you know, about $500 in my bank account. And it was looking, it was looking pretty rough. And I had some, you know, I had some clashes with the owner plenty of times and some other people in the business that were trying to out me. It, Tiger was a hostile place to work for at that time. There was a lot of different power struggles going on. Um, so I was just trying to survive. I just met my wife at the time. So I was like, I, if I, if I was to leave, I would have to move back in with my mother at 30 no job, not a dime to my name, not even a car, you know? So you put that pressure on somebody and it's again, sink or swim. I'm on an Island. I'm either going to find a way to eat or I'm going to sit here and die. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was just basically, I was just trying to survive. Yeah. That there's no going home. I've always had the theory. If anything fails, give me a handful of volume and a a styrofoam board <laughs> and just push me out in the ocean because yeah, yeah. I'd rather do that than get in a plane and go back to Canada. Yeah, pretty much. That was <laughs> it. That was, it was, it was, it was the end of the world if I was right. to fail. You know? What, what did you do to kind of overcome that hump? I mean, there must've been um, a next step in the business that, you know, gave you some structure and gave you some hope. Um, I'm oh, sorry. Say that. Like the more along the lines, you, you got $500 left in the bank and we, we've all been there. Anyone that's, I've been in Asia 13 mm -hmm. years, the first five years, three years. It's, it's not just, it's not that it's a struggle, but you're pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Um, unless you're opening your own business and getting that big payday on some project. Let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. So you're down to $500 and you, you kind of know what can come in. And if there is a power struggle where your, your, your bloodline gets cut off, then it gets very uh, tough. Mm. So what did you do to make sure, you know, you didn't die? Well, it was uh, a little bit of luck, a lot of, hard, well, a lot of hard work, a little tiny, tiny bit of luck. Um, I had, believe it or not, I had a YouTube video that went viral. Um, it got a couple million views and Little did I know, Google sent me a check for about four or five grand or something like that. And that funded my current business, my photog wedding photography business. Um, I ended up getting, getting into that because I met some girl at the gym who was a destination wedding photographer and she had a couple of weddings booked here in Phuket and she brought me along and I met an event planner and she gave me a chance to film my first wedding. And I actually ended up buying that company in 2018, the event company. Um, yeah. So, that's so it's just this, this was a, this five grand now that's allowing you to purchase your own equipment and to expand because I mean, uh, if you're a wedding photographer or anyone in the media side, uh, it's very difficult to bring on clients with no equipment. What do you do? Do you rent? Do you struggle? How do you show up to a meeting? Right. So, so I had, I had, um, I was using tiger's equipment cause, uh, the owner then he was big into the, to the, once he saw the potential of the media, he, he bought a bunch of cameras and stuff like that. But the idea was, you know, um, he had his kind of his thumb on me at the time. The idea was getting that thumb off of me. So getting my own equipment and also had to get, um, I was, well, I don't get in trouble. Yeah. I was, I, I had to set up my own business, get my work permits and things like that straight, straightened away. So that, that, that four or five grand really gone. Yeah. Gone. Yeah, I mean, you set up a business in Thailand, uh, probably with taxes and sure. employees yep. and your V. It's a that's one hundred and twenty thousand baht, sure, right there. Yeah, and maybe you get a camera. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, luckily, uh, you know, the wedding thing, it really worked out because it was the timing of of it. I was like the only foreigner on the island doing it. 
um, offering it. I spoke English. I didn't have a portfolio, so that was the hardest part is building the portfolio and, and, and uh, getting my foot in the door and keeping it there. Uh, but it just paid so much better. Like my fir- even my first job, I think I got paid uh, $1,000 and mm-hmm. I worked, you know, an eight-hour day. And, you know, I did the editing and stuff too. But, you know, that was like so much f- from, from, I mean, the videos I was producing for Tiger – even in, in doing the highlight reels for the clients, I was getting paid like 150 bucks to do some, some cheesy video, you know? And here I am, I get a thousand dollar paycheck after, uh, you know, years of struggling. Was, th- was there a transition like into the uh, wedding photography or were you kind of still working at Tiger and still doing the wedding photography yeah. and then a slow leave? It was a, it was a, it was a gradual leave because, uh, you know, we... Uh, we built kind of like an, again, a, a media department inside of Tiger. Because um, after, I think, like three years, I think I generated something like, I want to say like 8 million views for Tiger. And it kind of blew up. Um, it became the protocol for all the gyms, not just in Phuket, but in Thailand that wanted to attract, you know, uh, foreigners. It was like, you need an in-house videographer. And every in-house videographer was, was now, they all, uh, they, they mimicked my, my business, the highlight reel doing it for the client so they can make money. And, and no gym was really paying for a videographer. They were doing the same as Tiger. Again, just free accommodation, maybe free training, um, give you access to the clients, you know? So everybody kind of copied the, the formula to success and really all those YouTube views. And, um, that's what, I mean, I was producing like 30 videos a month for tiger 30. Like we produce so many videos that, uh, I mean, if you typed into Google or YouTube Muay Thai at that time, nine, eight, eight or nine out of 10 videos were tiger Muay Thai. And that's how tiger Muay Thai was like, you couldn't avoid it. If you were, if you were looking for a different place, or looking for different content, you would have a hard time finding it because we flooded the market with content. YouTube. YouTube. YouTube, YouTube. Um, yeah, and obviously other social medias came into play. Facebook. I started the, the, the Tiger Muay Thai MySpace back when the MySpace was a thing. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a, uh, I mean, in terms of these stories, and I always look, back uh i mean not to to put too much ego on the podcast Mm -hmm. i I think what's interesting about this podcast is that i think it will have more relevancy in 20 years like someone that is going to be eighth generation um tiger muay thai videographer meaning it could be the year 2030 Mm -hmm. 35 40 they'll come back and see this and maybe there's something they can learn or they'll figure out who you are from this video and be able to reach out to you for those people that might look back um your experience at tiger muay thai what is like the biggest advice you could give that might you know transition as a timeless piece of advice working and that can be applied to working in thailand um that's probably something it's it's more difficult to think about yeah uh advice i would give i think like it just advice as a videographer coming not just tiger but in in thailand in general Mm -hmm. there's always these hidden golden nuggets that you only get from experience that it's gonna you probably can't even find online something that you know you experience you've been through that you would pass on to that future generation well it's always i think with anything it's, it's find something you love um, I was fortunate to kind of stumble upon something I love to do, well, not just with the Muay Thai, but um, with the photography. And my father was a photographer. I kind of grew up with a camera in my face. Um, but I didn't realize you can even make a living at it until I picked up a camera and looked into it. You know, so uh, you have to love what you do first. And I think if you love it enough, you obviously have to work hard. But um, if you love it enough, it will happen. That's, that's pretty much the only advice I can give anybody, photography or any, any other trade in the world. Yeah, I mean, you need to have that passion to be able to get up yeah. in the morning as yeah. well. The, we were talking a little bit before, and that's why before the podcast, we, it gets confusing. Did we talk about that already on the podcast? Or, sure. um, we were talking about building that whole AV team, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about you were the one that hired Jeff as an intern, mm-hmm. and now Jeff, he I think he he 
maybe I don't know if he produced and directed or if he was more just the videographer mm -hmm. for Israel Adesanya's yep. movie to yep. to watch your uh, apprentice grow up and become the 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 master yeah. how, how does that make you feel oh uh, that I mean well there's two parts of it one I'm super happy for him he's always been a really cool kid and um you know he's he's, he's a great talent um, so I'm super happy he's gone on to have so much success. And then the the, the bitter part is me is like, hey, that's supposed to be me, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Like, uh, you know, I would have loved to, you know, been in been in that position too. And I and I could have too, but uh, you know, I kind of left the fight the fight scene. But in general, obviously, super happy for Jeff and his success, and, and uh, he's had some really cool experiences. You know. Yeah. What What was that the dynamic like? As you know, you're created you've created the 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 video production department the av media team at tiger and you're watching the young guns come in at that time was just yeah jeff you have to pass the torch you said there was a lot of power struggle yeah. at tiger w was that easy transitions was there a lot of politics in play oh there was lots of politics um in my department there, there was there wasn't too much until like the end. Uh, it wasn't with Jeff. Jeff was, again, if you've ever met him, he's yeah, a yeah. super laid back guy. Um, so he was always really cool. But there was this other guy. I don't want to mention people's name, but there was a, someone else that I hired as kind of like an intern to come in and, you know, live the dream. And he kind of went for my job. Mm. <laughs> but people forgot that um, the manager was my best friend from back home. <laughs> so it was like didn't really work out well for them at the time. Um, but the dynamics, I mean, every, everybody worked together pretty well for the most part. It was just certain areas. Uh, um, it was very, everything was, you know, everything in Thailand's run a little bit loose, especially back then. It's probably better now. Um, so it was too easy to get, get away with a lot. You, you would have seen, um, especially back then, um, a, a lot of fighters come. And I know Bisbin was over at top team, but I mean, you would have seen that, that, kind of next generation growing up in Tiger mm -hmm. Muay Thai. Was there a difference in ego between the fighters back then compared to maybe the fighters you would see nowadays? Because back then, I mean, they probably were getting paid nothing. So I don't know if the ego could exist. Yes and no. It depends. Like, it, well, this sport has grown so much. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. And um, the gym, the gym life has uh, grown. I think now... But, now it's um it's a lot more involved with like people are more, more involved with fitness part of it uh, i think back then was uh it was like early ufc days it was like oh who's the tough who's the best street fighter you know um there's a huge difference between muay thai and mma though and like the guys no offense my mma friends people's uh there's a lot more ego in mma and i think people because you watch it and it's kind of like you know, it's it's wrestling, WWE wrestling, and and MMA is kind of like you need to be same a fan base. Today you need to have a character. Yeah, the character and and it just the whole the whole the whole idea is of who's the toughest guy in the room. You know, where Muay Thai is, uh, it's a super humble sport. If like if you meet a handful of professional Muay Thai fighters, they'll be the the most humble people you've ever met. You know, quiet. They don't talk. You know, they don't they don't even look like tough guys. You know. Um, but the MMA guys seem to be a little bit more, you know, they come in the gym, especially when they're new. After a while, they, everybody, most people get humbled after getting beat up a few Kicked times in the, in the head gym. A few times. Yeah, like, I'm tough until, I go, you, until you go to the gym and someone that knows what they're doing kicks you in the face. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, there was, there was a weird dynamic at Tiger at the time because MMA was still growing and MMA in, in Thailand was still growing. At the time, it was, it was like nothing. You know, I will actually had the first MMA fight in Phuket ever at yeah. Bangla Stadium when Bangla Stadium was actually on Bangla Road. Yeah. yeah, I think it actually might have been the first MMA fight in Thailand. By the way, he holds that. He's a very humble guy. He'll never tell you that, but I'll tell you that. Will Elliott had the first MMA fight in Th all of Thailand. Probably so, right. Yeah. I think uh, well, it, how did he do? Oh, uh, he won. He oh, won really right. quick. Okay. He yeah. He fought. He fought a Muay. Thai, he was actually a predominantly a Muay Thai fighter. Kid named Allen who. Uh, it's a kind of like original Phuket guy back then. Um, yeah, he, he choked him out like really quick. <laughs> well, that's okay. No, no one got too injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's fine. Because I'm sure back then, in terms of head injuries or hard sparring, mm -hmm. um, it probably wasn't frowned upon. And, and was that prevalent? Would you see that in the gym compared to maybe nowadays? 
No, no, I never saw any, you know, you have people that come in the gyms and, you know, try to spar hard, go crazy, but they don't last long, you know, but I don't, I don't see many, many injuries or anything like that in my, my experience. How, how has the soy changed? I mean, coming in, in 2007, 2009, could you walk us through like, I mean, we've all seen back to the future and we, we see the development of the, the, those, the, I forget the name of the area where he's yeah, living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, can you kind of use that as an analogy or just even like to picture that and paint that picture for the audience? What was Tiger like in 2007? And what was the general progression in terms of development? Mm -hmm. What came first? What came next? And I mean, we talked to Joey before and mm -hmm. she was saying it was rubber plantations. Mm -hmm. Now you're pre-Joey. You're the OG of I, OGs. Yeah, I, I was part of hiring Joey, I believe. Yeah, so just let us know, what was it like in Tiger in 2007, and how has it changed? Oh, my God. It is the fastest-growing economy I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I think it's peaked already, but the, the growth, I've never seen anything like it. Again, I come from a small town that can't even build. So, like, it was wild. So when I first came to Tiger, yeah, the whole entire street was a rubber plantation. Um, Tiger Muay Thai had two rings about 20 30 guests you know very quiet there was one other gym called i think tiger pit um sean douglas ran that one he used to be kind of a partner with tiger long story behind that um so that was the only other gym and the only restaurant was mama's restaurant before tony's just just mama's restaurant and there was a sumtum place at the very end of the road where the latex factory is now um they sold sumtum and gayang chicken grilled chicken so uh, there was literally nothing. It was it was so, I remember, you know, especially at nighttime after going to the fights or something from Batong, when you got about a half kilometer to the soy, you would feel a cold breeze because of the nature there. You would, get, like, literally the temperature would drop 10, 15 degrees. I don't know what Celsius, sorry, I'm American. Um, <laughs> but it would get so much cooler and the air would be super fresh. And that used to be the soy, but now it's, it's kind of like smells like batong now. <laughs> um, it grew and, it, you know, the, after the first year I went there, I went back. Of course, there was a dozen more restaurants and it just didn't stop growing, really. I mean, just in a few years, it just, but now, I mean, I've been off the soy since like 2016, probably. Um, and even since then, it's just, it's, what can you say? You know? Yeah, I mean, you go back, it's Thailand in general. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, I never go to Chao Long, and every time I go, there's like a giant Robinson's there. Like, oh, yeah. The construction in Phuket is nonstop, mm. especially since COVID ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never seen, it's almost like there was this rubber band that just was stretched and snapped. Yeah. And now it's just, the construction yeah. here is, it's insane. Even like pr before COVID, there was construction, but not at this rate. It's almost like all the construction they've missed mm. for two years, they're doing it all in like six months. Yeah, and it's true. it's it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's bizarre. And I mean, the story now they have even the the, the amount of gyms. They just there, there's a new gym next to Tiger now, called um, Apollo. Yeah, so you seen that? Yeah, I think Sean Cobra's there. I couldn't even believe it because it was like you know, I I I only get get a chance to go down there like every two or three months or something like that. Not often do I go down the soy anymore, but when it, you know, just like within two months, boom, there's a big ass gym. And it seems like every time I go down there, it's like that, but you're right. All of Phuket is kind of like, you know, Phuket back then was so, I mean, to be honest with you, I enjoyed it more because it was more mine. You know, I'm a bit selfish. I'm like, it's my Island, my experience, you know, um, now it's just so like commercialized and it, it ex it's exploded. Well, th all of Thailand ex has exploded. But, I mean, Phuket, I think, was rated one of the most um, over-traveled places in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't... Um, I, I'm, I really wonder what they're doing with the garbage here. Like, question. You, you got... If, if the island's 10x'd, the mm. garbage is 20x'd, mm. I, I don't know. I wonder where these landfills are. I have no idea, to be honest. I know there's one in Phuket town, and... I don't know where the other one is. I mean, maybe they yeah, throw it on ships maybe. and sell it to China. Who knows? Uh, it's probably going right in the ocean water <laughs> that you're swimming in. <laughs> maybe. When, 
when you came here and you're 28 to 30, I mean, obviously you're, you're not coming with a girlfriend now. You're married. You have a, you have kids. You have, is it a Thai wife or? Yeah, Thai okay. wife. She's uh yeah, I met her. So here. As, as we all know, moving here and we'll, we'll keep this PG 13. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always the, the, maybe the first few years you, you were that young strapping young lad that could go out for, I guess people that are, are, are looking to come here. We all have our experiences to share of, maybe don't do that in your first five years. How, can you talk? I'm kind of beating around the bush here without trying to even burn myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can you talk a little about coming as a single male? Oh, what is the experience like? Oh, and how did, how did you transition and change into a married man with kids? Well, my wife found me very early. You're lucky then. Yeah, no, like literally, like I moved here in August 2009. I met her in December 2009. So as far as living here and being single, I didn't have a lot of, exper- of experience. And I was super brokey back then. So I, it's, it's like I couldn't, I'd, you know, take a girl to 7-Eleven, buy her some peanuts, you know, like. Tinder didn't work. Uh, right? yeah, no, didn't have, yeah, it was, it was, yeah, with no swiping left or right. Yeah. I've never done that before. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you have to be careful. I mean, obviously, you know, people, what people see, what, what kind of I don't like is is the perception of of, of Thailand and Thai Thai women from abroad or people that just come here for two weeks and stuff because people go to right to the red light district. So I guess my advice was like would be like never go to the red light district to find a girlfriend. You know, <laughs> that's that's real. That's really it. You know, um, most most Thai women are very sweet and and genuine and loyal and hardworking people. Um, yeah, I guess it's, uh, what do you expect to find at the red light district? I guess it's the same as if you want to go, you get in shape and, you know, have a, a clean diet, probably don't go to McDonald's either. Yeah. You don't go to McDonald's and, and the bar to yeah, get so you got to, you got to pick your poison as well. Sure. You, you living on the soy and you, you're, you're watching people coming for health and fitness. I mean, a lot of them can stay focused, but a lot mm-hmm. of them, they, come to escape drugs or rehab or to, you know, have a change. Mm-hmm. Have you seen people fall off the wagon while, you know, and, and maybe even people you've met? Yeah, even people I know from back home that came here and tried to, you know, change their life and live the dream um, kind of fell off. Uh, yeah, if you have a drug or alcohol problem, um, this place could probably be a bad place for you because everything is in kind of excess, you know. 24-7. Debauchery is around the corner all the time. I mean... Even if you come from a very sober, straight place and, you know, state of mind and everything, this place could eat you alive. Man. Yep. It really can. You can get lost in, you know, the nightlife and there is a lot of seedy stuff. There's a seedy side, you know, with every, with all the, with all the good, there's going to be all the bad, you know. So uh, if you have a, if you're someone with an addiction problem, maybe it's this part of Thailand wouldn't be the best for you. Um yeah, I could. Yeah, it's definitely like Thailand, especially um, you know, people getting stuck at, at the bars. I mean, it's it's very easy. It's what's today? I think we're filming at two p.m. on a mm-hmm. Thursday. It's very easy to be like, all right, I'm done filming. Uh, go to the beach and drink thirty-five San Miguel lights. Yeah. And as you get older, I mean, I probably still do that, but as <laughs> you, as you get older. Yeah. Um, I'm probably talking about exactly what I'm going to do after this. Yeah. No, as you get older, the, the hangovers get rougher and living in Thailand, there's no on or off switch. You, you really only have your own self control and yes. you can watch people really go down the wrong path and, and oh, yeah. come back. Yeah. Yeah. I've had some friends that got, got, got really into, uh, the y- Yaba. Yeah. You know, and ice and they were like just doing crazy, crazy stuff. I couldn't even. Yeah, and you can end up in a in a Thai jail, and that's that's the last one of the last prisons you want to end up in, you know. Yeah, I think like I didn't realize how rampant the Yaba was in mm-hmm. Thailand. Um, I, I've I've heard a lot of stories. I won't mm-hmm. go into detail with. For me personally, I don't get it. it doesn't like why do I want to be up for four days? Um, right. I, so I haven't fully understood it. Um, yeah. But I, I guess me, it's more along the lines because it's so cheap and yes. it's easy to. Ex- have access Mm -hmm. so if you don't i guess these people if you don't have money for higher quality nose drugs let's Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) or or let's uh, you know or even be to be able to go out to the bars like Mm -hmm. i think yaba is like 20 baht a pill someone was saying or 50 baht it's probably even cheaper in some areas this is why they they yeah kids well mostly mostly kids and 
it affects you know the 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 poor end of 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 the society here um but on the on the other side there isn't a lot of like other drugs that you see you know you don't see a lot of you know opiate addicts and heroin even though we live in the golden triangle yeah no you don't yeah. see that here yeah you don't no, see they're that. Exporting they're, that. yeah they're exporting yeah exactly they're making money yeah they're like yeah um yeah so yaba is like the thing for for the for the young people but um i've seen a lot of foreigners come here and get get mixed up with it you know it's again cheap and they're hanging out with these 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 young bar girls and these bar girls are into it because they, they kind of a lot of the bar girls have to take these drugs to be able to stay up all night and drink and, mm. and, and live the lifestyle they're living you know it's it's between that and a lot of the um the laborers you know they work in factories and construction you see these these guys and they have to work um in truck drivers so mm. they take they take these 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 pills and keeps them up for two days to get the job done yeah taxi i mean that's why uh those white taxis anytime i'm on a motorbike that's the one like if he's on my ass i am pulling like i pulled to the side right because like they'll drive up your ass and try to pass all traffic yeah okay one thing in thailand is beware of of the small trucks something yeah. about the small trucks drug users and and race car drivers like these these guys i don't know what it is you see a small the two-door not the four-door trucks you little know, gray back. looking ones the, yeah the, the little shit boxes they think they're driving a little hot rod for some reason these guys are so yoked up on whatever and they drive like madmen. yeah I, I saw one i was on my motorbike going to i think i was crossing the bridge and leaving the island but it's it's kind of like just past the airport on the highway and there's a part on the road where it kind of winds. It's not that bad and there's a guardrail and I was behind this guy and I just saw him like ripping. And the turn went sharp but not bad. I mean, mm -hmm. it's the fucking highway and he just went right through the guardrail, launched and just did like a somersault. Landed back on the thing and like I look, like I was driving slow enough to look by that like he was okay. Mm -hmm. I'm like, he'll be okay. Yeah. But that is what you'll see in Phuket. Def specifically in Phuket on the highways, yeah. you will see these, like you said, these trucks. They're either wasted or on Yaba, and they are driving like lunatics. Well, Thai, listen, sorry, Thai people, you guys are terrible drivers. As it, I mean, it just, it's it's kind of like it's everything's so embedded in their culture because everything's sabai sabai, and. I have a lot of Thai staff that I travel with and sometimes they'll have to drive because I'll have to work on my phone or whatever. And they drive like crazy. They're not on drugs. You know, at least I don't think they are. <laughs> uh, but no, they, they're not. And they drive crazy too. And I'm like, but their philosophy is kind of like, I didn't die last time. So like, look, at I'm still alive. <laughs> like, dude, no. But like, but like I want to live, man. I don't want to take these risks. Um, well, it, also what it is, is like education. Like back home, we had driver's ed drive for a certain amount of time and have our, her, our permit and, and, and et cetera. They don't have that here. I'm, my wife, when she bought her, her first car, she didn't have a license yet. And they just, they gave her the car drive away. You know, I still don't have my Thai license. I've been living here for Neither 15 years. I. It's like, I know I need to get it. Well, it <laughs> just know. sounds, it sounds so scary. It's like, you got not in a, in a time management way when you don't have time. It's like, okay, well, you show up at eight and you might get it by three. Mm -hmm. And if you miss your appointment, yeah. you go back eight Actually, weeks I, later. I failed. That's what okay. I did. I did try it. I okay. failed. It, it was uh, not the written test, but the computer test. And listen, how I failed is uh, they asked me, you know, what would you stop for? Would you stop for like, or not stop, but um, slow down? Would you slow down for an elephant? Um, a cow or like a dog or something like that. And I was like, well, all, well, maybe all, but you know, if I was to choose one, I'd probably slow down for the elephant, you know, mm. you know, cause he'd probably mess me up if I went to, you know, a little too fast. I don't want to, I don't want to scare that guy, but that was the wrong answer. The wrong answer is you slow down for the cows. Why? Cause they're more skittish. Okay. Like the elephants are really laid back. I've driven past elephants and it's just like, they don't, they're, whatever i'm bigger than you they're not scared of a oncoming car but um the cows are very skittish and the mm -hmm. bulls and i didn't believe that until one day my wife came home and half of her car was dented in she's like two cows hit me i was like get out of here you know i thought she was hiding some some terrible accident but then you look inside you see all the fur on the side of the car you know like they kind of ran into her. they just they were chasing each other or something yeah, yeah. like that and you know they saw the car and they just bam yeah, I mean, these big buffalo here, 
people don't realize how big they are. These water buffalo. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I big. hit one on my motorbike, and um, I it was pretty dark at night on mm. one of the main roads up here. I think it's the one that connects from Boat Avenue to that highway up there. Yep. And it was probably 10, 11 o'clock at night. I remember I was, but I was going quick. I was going 80. And this is before, the, this was probably six years ago. So there wasn't too much development going on. And a buffalo was crossing the road. And, it, and it's so dark. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see him. And I saw him last minute. And I swerved. And I missed him where only my mirror hit his ass and snapped off. Oh, and I, for sure, if you hit him, I would have exploded. Yeah. Like these things, what are they? They probably weigh more than a four-tuner. Yeah, sure. I mean... Yeah, and they they they'll just sit in the middle of the road too. Like I've almost I've almost hit one directly. They're just in the middle of the road in the middle of the night on a dark road with no lights. So you definitely have to be careful. Um, we'll 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 end it on kind of one more note and story. I mean, now that you're a family man, um, any expats that are looking to move abroad and they want to come with a family, um, could you share some advice? For them of you know what what are the actual costs as a budget and just giving a, a, a little bit of an idea you want to bring a family here you want to have a family in thailand what's it really going to cost right so i mean it's obviously depends on your lifestyle lifestyle is huge you can you know people move out here because you can live cheap but also at the same time you can find yourself living you know pretty it's not so cheap you know so it really depends on you and your lifestyle. But if you're going to have a family, I'd say education is going to be uh, a big cost. If you want good education, you're going to have to get an international school. My wife, she's actually the di director of Head Start International. Um, it's big cost savings. Yeah, so I get f two free children. I only, I only have one kid now, but if I, we're up to two kids, we, we get free education. So that's if, if I didn't have free education, it would it'd be very difficult. Yeah, Head Start's probably what four or five hundred thousand about a year 400 uh i think so like the younger ages maybe like i think it's three a little over three hundred thousand and then yeah. uh the older ages is i think it's th 350 to 450 yeah so you're talking 10 to fifteen thousand. yeah so you're, you look you got it every month you're looking like around a thousand fifteen hundred dollars with you know obviously you know put your kids in after school activities as well and uh school trips and school trips and things like that so i mean all around budget i'd say you probably want to be making, you know, one fifty at the minimum a month if you have a kid. If you have if you have a plart, two kids, three kids, you're gonna you gonna you gotta remember, you know, you gotta take out thirty to fifty thousand per month per kid if you have them in international school. I know a lot of people that don't have their kids in international schools too, and that's fine if that's if you're okay with that. There is like English English programs like Kajunkit that that they do. Uh, it's much cheaper, but they have it's like a decent. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's, but it's still not that much cheaper. Like it's compared to like Canada, where edu or U.S. education is mm -hmm. free. Yeah. So if you have yeah, exactly. people back home looking to come over here, mm -hmm. um, it's either you got to be coming with money or or go be a teacher at one of those schools. Yeah, that's that that. Then that's you get free if, you're, if you if you're a qualified teacher to work at an international school, I believe their their kids get free education. Yeah. So that that's um that's one option. But it, yeah, if not, if, if you have a family, it's a little bit tougher. But if you're coming out here if single or even, you know, married and not, no kids yet, then um, yeah, it really depends on your lifestyle. You can live as, as cheap as 50000 a month to as much as, you know, 200000 I found that the more money I made, the more money I spent. I, uh, Pre-COVID, um, I'm not going to say exactly how much money I was making, but just say, uh, you know, um, more than enough. More it's, than enough. Well, the thing about Phuket is it's very easy to go have a 5,000 baht dinner every night if you want. Yes. And it's yeah. it's very tempting too as well. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is if you do that, it's not so much the spending. You're just going to be a fat ass. Mm -hmm. And you're probably going to get wine and a beer. And now mm -hmm. you're an alcoholic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, you. it's not that you can't. And there's, it, there's always something going on. But I think realistically... Um, for us, we I cook Monday to Friday, and it's more or less like like food panda grab. Like if I go on this thing, I'm just like kebab burger. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like what else oh, am yeah. I Indian food? Like there's nothing. I'm not gonna order a poke bowl. Get sure, lost. Sure. My girlfriend's like order a salad. I'm like I'll make a salad. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. I'm ordering a pizza. Yeah. So it's to 
that that lifestyle in Phuket, yeah, that can get expensive. But yeah, like what what you said, probably under without kids, yeah, probably a hundred, hundred twenty with kids, yeah. maybe one fifty. Yeah. There's a lot of content out there, and I think people just do it for clickbait, where they say you can come to Thailand and live on a thousand US dollars. Get bent. So, I, would you be able to kind of debunk that myth? Like this is just not realistic. Well, no, you, you can, but it's. What they don't tell you is how long you can do that for. Again, when I first my first year out here, I made I made three hundred dollars. I did like ten thousand to fifteen thousand bottom month. But that's two thousand seven. Yeah. It's still a bit yeah. true, but that is probably equivalent yeah. to like thirty thousand now, right? Um, and you're not going to be happy in the long run. You can do it if you want to live the dream for six months. Go for it. You're gonna have, you know you can have some great experiences. You don't need a bunch of money to experience the culture and. And, and, you know, live a great, a decent lifestyle. Um, but in the long term, you're going to think about like health insurance, you know, um, having a decent place, e eating healthier, being, being healthy is expensive, you know, so gym memberships and, you know, I eat a lot of organic food now and I, you know, I'm big on the vegetables. And so that, that, that gets expensive and, you know, and you're going to get into a community of expats here that have probably their own businesses and better income uh, they're going out to eat or they're going to the bars and the nightlife and stuff. You can't afford that. If you're making 30,000 baht a month, you're not, you're not going to the bars. You know, you know <laughs> what I used to do is I used to have to I'd buy the Samsung, the cheap Thai whiskey, which was like 300 baht for the little court. And I'd buy a Coke and I'd pour it in there and my friends would go to the bar and I'd be like, I'll be there in 15 minutes. I'd just walk back and forth down Bangla road, drink the entire bottle and then go into the bar and I don't, I can only afford to, you know, get one beer. So, uh, you know, there's ways around it, but you're not going to be happy long-term. There's, there's, there's no way. No, I think, I think most people, again, that have moved to Asia have the same stories. Yeah. Um, when you're moving to Asia, you need a bit of a game plan. Like you can grind it for a year, a six months to a year, mm -hmm. but if you don't have some sort of game plan there, it's going to get pretty rough after that. It's hard to live after a year living on those types of budgets. Yeah. I think it's okay, I and, and not to to cause any controversy because many people will say, well, Thai people do it. But the difference is they're also hanging out with other Thai people that aren't spending as much. Yes. And they can eat Thai food every day, yes. which is not a problem because they're Thai. We, as a foreigner, it's I can eat Thai food maybe three days in a row. Mm. And then there's a certain point where there's just so much flavor in Thai food that are white tongues needed like a sandwich or something simple yes yes um and, and i think my main point is more yes the thais can leave live cheaper sometimes they'll live three in a place mm -hmm. but thai food local thai food is very inexpensive yep. i mean sure it can get pricey and going on your point when you get involved in the expat community uh i take you out to dinner mm. well maybe we go out and it's five six seven now you're with wife and kids easy ten thousand baht maybe mm. with two bottles of wine sure well, now it's your responsibility to do it next time. And now imagine you're doing that with five or six people. That's where the lifestyle can get pricey yes. because you need to give back. You can't always, you know, just be going out and shaking. Yeah. It, it is what it is. So yeah. I think that whole myth of, you know, coming to Thailand, surviving on $1,000 a month, it's just not sustainable. Yeah, I mean, if you're coming here, if you're living like the fighter lifestyle, like, you know, um, I don't know if you know who Johnny Betts is. Uh, he's a tiger Muay Thai. Like he, he's, he's been, he's been there longer than I have. And he came, moved out here when he was like 16, 17. Um, and been, he's been a full-time fighter and he's still a full-time fighter. Um, and he's been, he does a little bit of work for tiger. He does a little bit of like filming the fights. And, and I think he actually, I think he got a gig with one FC now, but anyways, he's still a tiger, but he lived, he roughed it forever. I think he's li living a little better now, but we're talking a good 10 years. He was living where the trainers were living. So there was no air conditioning. He was sleeping on the floor, you know, squat toilet. He was eating at the, the local Thai places. Like he's, he's a, one of the only people I know that could live that lifestyle and was happy with it. Cause he's like, you know, some foreigners can come, like come kind of become Thai and <laughs> they say, you know, so, uh, but that's very few. Where's he from? Uh, he's from the UK. Oh, wow. Interesting. Well, maybe I'll bring him on. Yeah, he was, um, he was, I think he was a max Muay Thai champion. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so he's, he's, he's legit. Yeah. yeah I, I 
I think it, it just depends on your taste as, as well. Like I have friends as well. They can easily, you know, go to the same Thai restaurant or, you know, even get the chicken burgers there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a certain point, it, it's difficult in Thailand because you see it all, all around you. Yeah. And, and then kind of, you know, once you get a taste of it, it's hard to go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. You just can't eat. I can't eat Thai food every day either. You know, it's um, and it's it's not that healthy. You think it is because the, the ingredients, a lot of the ingredients they use are healthy, like the fresh ones. But once they put it in that frying pan with that oil, seed oil, you know, um, and even their soups that are, you know, have a lot of, you know, ginger and turmeric and these ingredients, they they use uh, MSG and a lot of salt. So it's high in sodium. So, yeah, it's, it's hard to. Um, to live off yeah, of that unless, you're, unless you're cooking Thai food at home. But, I mean, even the turmeric and the ginger, This you go to super cheap, I mean, if you want to grab it mm. quick, or Tesco, this stuff is all GMO, turmeric, and ginger. Like, yeah. you see the size of the, the stuff. <laughs> ginger yeah. should not be Yeah, yeah, it's like I... I mean, you go go to Tesco. The other... I swear the carrots get bigger every time. Yeah. Like, they're... Man, some of the carrots are that big. So, I mean, this is clearly GMO. So even if you are eating, you think you're eating healthy, who yeah. knows? And even, are, are you are you vegan? Are you eating meat or? I No, while well, I do eat meat, I'm, I'm definitely not vegan. I couldn't do that. I don't, I just don't think it's the answer. But um, I am probably 90% vegetarian. Mm. You know, I, 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 um, I, whatever's healthy for my body, I put it in there. You know, I try to. And I think a lot of, you know, what also people's bodies are different. I have a hard time digesting too much meat. Uh, my body doesn't process protein very well, so I'm actually, despite these guns, hey. I don't have. Hey, I don't get a lot of protein, mm. you know. Um, and I, I'm not a big believer in protein either. Um, so, yeah, about ninety percent vegetarian. Well, it's where, where are you getting your meat if you are getting it? I usually go to uh, like Tops Market. Mm. Yeah, I'm um, sure Tops. You're probably gonna get. It's a bit more expensive. You get better quality. Yeah, yeah. I. So, I I don't, I don't go to the, to the, to the, like, uh, the wet markets or the macro. My wife goes there and mm-hmm. you go and you can just smell the, you know, the guts. I always question, like we, we'll get, we'll go, we have, we have a Thai butcher that we order meat from Bangkok. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not giving that out. Sorry, because the next thing I know my prices will go up because everyone floods <laughs> them. It's my secret sauce. <laughs> um, but they, you, you go to Tesco mm-hmm. and like you buy three kg of chicken breast and it's like a hundred and forty baht. Yeah. And that's where I start to question like how much antibiotics has been injected in these chickens? Like how is it so cheap? It's compared to the Canada and the US, like my brother was telling me mm-hmm. that a kg of chicken could be thirty bucks. A thousand baht. Here, mm-hmm. like a kg is what I don't eat less than two hundred, maybe one fifty. Yeah. Why is it so cheap? Mass, mass production um but i'd say if if you go to some of the markets you could you know and you eat, well it's a bit of a gamble whether or not it's fresh but a lot of a lot of those that meat actually comes from local farms mm. you know um which i i and and when i say local farms i don't mean these big ones that where they need to inject them with hormones and the, the chickens are actually this big and not you know the <laughs> giant turkeys turkey chicken hybrids you know um but yeah, yeah, it's hard to find quality anything nowadays. We're talking about the supplements too, the supplement games. It's what you don't, it's so hard to know what you're putting in your body. Well, I guess that's a, a quick free plug for us there. We'll ask that question. I, to be honest, when guests come on, I completely forget about the mushrooms. Mm. It's like maybe if it comes up naturally, it just doesn't. But we were talking downstairs. You're, you're taking lion's mane and cordyceps yep. and you're talking to John how it is helping and changing mm-hmm. for you. One thing that I've noticed, um, people who have very clean lifestyles and diets, specifically like heavier plant-based, yeah. stuff like lion's mane or cordyceps, it works better on them because their system's so clean. Can you just talk about your experience with uh, medicinal mushrooms? Yeah, so it's kind of new to me. I think I stumbled upon, actually, I stumbled when I first saw your 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 podcast and your brand and things like that, and I, I started to look into it. So I'm, I'm fairly new to the game, but... Um, the moment I tried it, I tried lion's mane was the first thing I tried. And, uh, you know, sometimes with my work, I have to concentrate a lot, especially like a long days at a wedding. You know, I'm, I so much I got to think about and focus on. And it's it's so easy to have mental fatigue. And I think that's what I, I deal with. Plus, I'm out in the heat. I'm sweating at the same time. We're talking 10-hour days, right? Um, and I remember I took, the first time I took lion's mane on the job, I was zinging. 
boom. Like, wow. And I, I was super creative. Like I was, and I didn't have to think about it. It was just coming. And like you said, words were coming out of my mouth that I don't know where they were quite coming from somewhere in my brain, you know? And it was just, I was just way more productive. And I was like, wow, this is great. And then, so I looked into obviously the other ones like cordyceps for training. And um, that was really great for my cardio, you know? Are you um, doing high intensity running or? No, I, I'm still training a little bit of Muay Thai. Actually, I'm just starting to really get back into, into the Muay Thai, um, which is hard when you take so much time off. And now I'm 40, almost 43. So uh, I don't exactly have the stamina and the energy and or the time to be that fit anymore. So getting into Muay Thai is, is, is actually quite, a, even though I, 20 years on, it's quite intimidating to get into a Muay Thai class with a bunch of young guys. Um, you, you can feel the cordyceps. Like I, I find, um, like if you're doing a pa a pad work and you're doing, I don't know, like a three minute round yeah. and you know that you know where your lungs burn out. Are you feeling that extra bu burst? That's what yes. I try to explain to people. Yes, it's just like an extra, it's not It's not like an, I don't really feel like a boost of right. energy. It's not like, you know, drinking caffeine. It's more of like, it just, I just get pushed a little bit more with my lungs. Yeah, you're right. Like, like you know, you can just go that extra minute without burning out. It's kind of like, I find on the high intensity side, and especially pad work, and this is what a lot of Muay Thai fighters will tell me, it's you expect the burn to come and it doesn't. Mm. You're like, I should be a bit more gassed right now. And it yeah. just, it, it gets delayed almost. Yes. It's just like a delay. And also the recovery is a lot better. Like between rounds, you know, like normally I'd, I'd still be exhausted, like getting into the second round of pads, you know, like you only get like that minute or two break. Um, but I notice I'll be a lot fresher, you know, coming into the next round, which is, you know, everything for an athlete. Yeah, it's, it's, it's from the family of adenosine and adenosine is usually what we're, it's, it's, um, essentially a blocker in your brain. That's why when we take coffee, a coffee, caffeine is essentially blocking adenosine, which is allowing you, uh, to, to get tired mm -hmm. essentially. And cordyceps is called cordycepine and the molecular structure is very similar to that. That's what it's doing. It's like blocking the ability to get tired. Mm -hmm. But you need to be careful with it. You should, like coffee, you should only take cordyceps. You have to wait 90 minutes in the morning till you're up mm. because you need the brain to turn on naturally. Sure. Otherwise, you'll get tired in the afternoon. But the main thing from it, it's, it's pumping like um, uh, oxygen back into the blood. So you're yes. getting maximum levels. And it, it actually has an interesting story too. When I actually did some research on it and found out it's like a zombie mushroom. Yeah. Like <laughs> okay, so this this product here isn't. Um, so this this is why it's orange, and mm -hmm. I showed it downstairs. We call it. Sorry, this isn't a plug. It's more a quick education piece. We'll wrap it up in a yeah. second. Okay, so the reason why it's called the zombie mushroom is first from there's a show that came out, The Last of Us, and everyone's kind of pushed that the mm -hmm. zombies were taking this mushroom, infected them, and they were all zombies. I guess it was a video game. So everyone jumped on that and they're like, oh, it's the zombie mushroom. Yeah. Um, but the reason they call it the zombie mushroom is there's a strain called Cordyceps senesis. This one's called Cordyceps militaris. Um, corda means uh, club, seps is uh, stick, and then militaris is soldier. And that's what it looks like. It looks mm -hmm. like a club of a soldier. Mm -hmm. um, the zombie part of the story is that cordyceps senesis is the cordyceps that grows in the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. So it grows in Bhutan and uh, places in Nepal and um, uh, up in Tibet. The Sherpas will go up around 3 in the morning, and they'll, they're already at 4,000 meters, and they go another like maybe 1,000 or 500 meters, and they wait until the sun first rises. And when the sun rises, the snow will melt a little bit. And then they'll begin to find the cordyceps mushroom. And actually what it is, it's the mushroom and the fungus that has taken over like uh, a caterpillar mm -hmm. or a worm. Right. And the mushroom has got inside and taken over the body. And then the whole thing, essentially, it looks like a worm, but mm -hmm. it's actually a mushroom and it's eaten it from the outside. Yeah, it's so that's why they call it the yeah. cordyceps zombie mushroom. Yeah. And it does look similar. This one's orange. That one's like a darker color. But here's where it's fucking crazy. That mushroom in Bhutan... Nepal, Himalayas, whatever. It costs twenty thousand U.S. dollars a kilo. Damn. And some get up to fifty thousand. I've been to Bhutan. I've been and I visited the cordyceps guys that pick it, mm -hmm. and these guys will look like they have no money, 
because of the house. And they'll go in their 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 um, kind of looks like a I don't it's like a closet kind of, but under the stairs. I don't know yeah, what you yeah, call yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just pulls out a Tupperware to me, and he's like, "Yeah, let me show you." I'm talking. He pulled out like twenty kg. Right. I'm like, this guy's got serious cash, and the Jeez. people buying it are the Chinese. Because the Chinese don't buy it to take it. They buy it to frame it and put it on their wall in business. All right. That's a little feng shui. And what's crazy about all of it, the only reason it's expensive is because it's so hard to find in the Himalayas and you have to be so high up there. And it's it's almost like a diamond. Like Mm -hmm. there's military out there. Mm. If you took the molecular structure, the chemical compound of that one and compared it with Militaris side by side and you took both of them, Mm -hmm. it's the same fucking thing. Like, there isn't more um, advantage of taking it there. Right. The history behind it and why cordyceps help uh, add oxygen to your blood flow is because you get altitude sickness from the Himalayas. That's mm-hmm. where it originated from. That's real stuff, too. Yeah. So when you, if anyone is going to go to high altitude, take mm-hmm. cordyceps, especially fighters that fight in Mexico at high altitude mm-hmm. or Colorado. If you take cordyceps, that will help you acclimatize mm-hmm. uh, much more efficiently. Interesting. I wish I knew that years ago. I went to Tibet um, five, six years ago now. But yeah, that, that altitude sickness it's is real. real. Man, I, I, it kind of ruined my vacation because I was like trying to enjoy it, but I had these headaches. I was, as soon as I landed, I was dizzy. And I was like, well, not here. Don't. Did you try to hike the first day or something? No, I didn't even do, go there to go hiking. I just kind of went, um, um, I went to Lhasa, Tibet. And... Um, we did like, you can't go anywhere really without a tour guide. So we had a tour around Tibet, but why I, why I did this, I don't know, but we ended up driving from Tibet, Lhasa, Tibet to Kathmandu, Nepal. Jeez. We stayed, we stayed at a base camp in like, um, in a Tibetan family's teepee type of tent thing on the, like it was like a, some, some, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was, it wasn't, it was an incredible experience, but it was, it was so much harder to enjoy and, just because the altitude sickness was real. It's, it's, you know, as soon as I got off the, uh, you know, Lhasa is the highest city in the world, right? Um, as soon as I got off the airplane, I was in the airport. I was like, ooh, hey, I feel a little dizzy, you know, I was just like trying not to pass out right there. So I was like, then they're going to send me back, <laughs> you know, so. Did you feel it? I, I felt it in Bhutan, but it, I felt it mostly when I was climbing stairs. Yeah. Like we would have oh, the yeah. hotel and like I would go up a flight. I'd be like, oh. Yeah. Like you feel there, the there's nothing. And the first day we got there, there was these stairs. So I ran them mm-hmm. and you're okay to run. But when you stop running and you go to grab your oxygen, mm-hmm. it's not coming in. And it's actually extremely terrifying. Yeah. Cause you're like, like you taste the air, you feel the air, but mm-hmm. your blood's not getting it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just walking around. I was like, I felt like it's, it's probably similar feeling of being 90 years old. You right. Know? That's, or you, or know, you have emphysema. emphysema. Yeah, you're just, just walking up a flight of stairs and you're just, oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, well, we'll end it on that note. So if anyone going to Tibet or, or, or Bhutan or whatnot, hit us up. we got some cordyceps. We'll help you out. Um, just before we end the podcast, I'm going to kick this camera right there back to Daniel. Just let everyone know if, if they want to reach out for uh, wedding photography or anything yep. along those lines. Plug all your information. I'll put links in the description and uh shoot away there all right so if you're looking if you come in here to, for a wedding or maybe you just want to come you're coming with your, your your significant other and you want a photo shoot check out my website debauchephotography.com i am one of the best in the country That's one of the best <laughs> and um also they can find you on instagram as well yeah instagram at the bocce yep. okay um and you can probably hit you up there as well so sure. d-b-a-c-i correct dot com yes Oh, yeah. Debachi photography. Photography. Okay. Yes, I was right. going to say, shit, that's a pretty, <laughs> that, that domain might be worth more than. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, that wraps up another episode. Thanks a lot for watching. Don't forget to like, subscribe, buy some mushrooms, and uh, we're out. Peace.